the biggest lie pastors tell is on their answering machine. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas, uh, not here with my usual friend and co-host, Daniel Fox. Uh, He's taking care of some family medical things, and we'll be back to the mic hopefully soon. Uh, And I'm sure he'd appreciate your prayers for, for all of that. Um, I am here, however, with a, a friend and guest here, uh, newer, new friend, I should say, uh, Pastor Scott Vanderhart, uh, and he is from Iowa, and, uh, and we're going to be talking with him throughout the episode. But before we get too much into the interview here, I do want to say a special thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Uh, that is where our faithful and dedicated financial supporters are for this podcast. We do appreciate you all very much. If you would like to become a patron of the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash reason together and sign up for any one of the support levels there. Uh, There are various perks that come along with that, uh, and we would sure be grateful to you for your support. Uh, Anyway, with that being said, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Scott Vanderhart. Pastor, welcome. It's good to be here with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I have uh, a ton of questions for you today. I don't know that we'll get through them all, which is fine. If we don't get through all of them in the main episode, uh, we certainly can uh, take some of those into the after show, uh, which will be fun. Um, One of the ways in which I first heard about you, uh, and this would have been probably, I'm guessing eight years ago, was from a a relative of mine who was uh, a missionary And uh, he told me about a good experience he had while he was on deputation, uh, and he mentioned you. And at the time, we were raising support to plant a church in Norwich, Connecticut. Um, And so I gave you a call after that, and I had a good experience as well. And then in more recent days, my brother-in-law is on deputation as a missionary, and he was at your church, and his experience was great as well. So with all of these good experiences, uh, I figured we ought to have you on the podcast and kind of give you a platform to explain to listeners uh, how you handle the missionary deputation process as a pastor. I think that's a valuable thing for pastors to think through, but that is kind of a short rundown of how I first heard about you. Um, Let me ask you first, how long you've been pastoring? Well, I've been working for, I work for Adelphi Calvary Baptist Church in Runnels, Iowa, and I grew up here, actually. My dad was the senior pastor. He came in 1979, and when I graduated from college, I started here in 1989, and dad uh, retired about 10 years ago, and so I've been senior pastor for about 10 years here. Great. Okay. Um, now, I guess kind of the unique thing that, that you do that... It, that has kind of created some of these positive experiences that missionaries have had there is the primary reason why I wanted to have you on. Um, I kind of was the conversation I was having with my brother-in-law was he said, it would be great if someone like that had a platform to explain how they handled deputation. And I said, well, well, we have a platform. <laughs> we, we have this podcast we could use to, to help do that. But before we, we kind of get into the, the nuts and bolts of how you do that, how would you describe or define the deputation process for listeners who might not understand what that is? Missionaries um, have to raise support, and so they go on a process we call deputation. The real word, is, the root word of that is depute, which, 
which we get our word deputy. So they're going to churches actually getting authority, is the way I see it, to represent that church in a different location. And if we look at it from that standpoint, it changes our whole view of what the process is. Hmm. Because the missionary is actually helping us fulfill the Great Commission, going places that where we cannot go. And so if a pastor does not have the proper view there, he won't handle the process accurately. Right. So I, I see. So it's more than just you're helping financially support this missionary. You're, you're not just throwing dollars at them. They, in a sense, become an arm or an extension of your church in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Correct. If you look through the scriptures, Paul called his, he called them fellow laborers. And American missions is very much throw money at the problem. That's what we do as Americans. We throw money at the problem. Hmm. And in that process, we create more problems generally than we solve. Right. And so we do this in churches as well. We throw money at it. We just put them on the, as like the light bill or the gas bill. And that is about what the American churches think of missions. They're just another bill that they pay every month. And this is the worst case scenario for missions. Right. Because a missionary on deputation is trying to get support, but the support he needs really is prayer support and right. he needs partnership. The money is, uh, it takes money, but that's the least of the support that he needs. Right. Now, I, I guess from a very logistical standpoint, from the aspect of the missionary, in order to do that, you have to contact and visit and be supported by quite a few churches in order to reach the amount of support needed, not only for your family, but for the ministry when you're in the mission field. It is a very difficult thing. Churches do not support for a great deal of money. And there's two schools of thought on this. One, having more churches helps you uh, even out your support. So if you lose one, it's not so difficult, but it's more diversification. Correct. But it's also very difficult to get that. If, if the churches are supporting for $50 a month, if a family needs $5,000 a month to stay on the field, that's 100 supporting churches. That's two years. If every church that he scheduled took him on, which is not accurate, uh, he'd be two years full-time deputation if everybody took him on. And it just doesn't wow. work that way. So what is the average right now, do you think, for how many years a missionary is on deputation? It's getting a little longer. It was two, two and a half. Now it's probably getting closer to three. Unreal. After you get beyond that, we call it the law of diminishing returns. Um, if you've been on deputation too long, churches start dropping you. Those right. Your originals. And so you start losing as much support as you're gaining. And pretty much right. it's a dead end. Yeah. And, and a lot of times the churches that folks will go to when they hear that you've been on deputation for three plus years, they wonder what's wrong with you. And then there's less of a chance that they'll support you as well. Uh, we were on deputation for two years and uh, we raised only partial support in that, about 60 percent support. And I work for the rest. Um, but uh, but I remember meeting folks who were on deputation. One guy I met, he was on deputation four years. And he was not even close to full support by that point. If that's a real red flag for me, there, there's yeah. something wrong there that I don't know what's wrong, but there's, that's a red flag for me. If you've been on deputation that long, if you got to 60% in two years, you were over the hump and 
picking up, you'd be picking up speed. The last 25 or 30% comes in much faster than the first 25 or 30%. Right. Hmm, interesting. Um, from the pastor's perspective, with you looking at the missionaries from the outside, for lack of a better term, what do you think their number one challenge is? Like the all-time number one challenge, whether it be spiritual challenge, financial challenge, logistical challenge, what is their biggest challenge? For, the, for a missionary's biggest challenge? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a very <laughs> broad question because the term missionary is such a generic term. Okay, we have our church supports nearly 70 missionaries, give or take. And so we have some who are old and, re, you know, just on the ready to retire. They've been on the field for 30, 40 years. We have some who are on deputation still. We have some who have eight or 10 kids. Yeah. So that that really changes the dynamics of that. Sure. Well, specifically the ones on deputation, what do you think their biggest challenges are? The biggest, well, uh, let's see. Getting a hold of the pastors it, to get in it, through, through the process, getting a hold of the pastors would be their number one problem. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about the deputation problem, uh, the, or the problems of deputation, getting hold of a pastor. Um, I don't know if you've ever, well, you've done it, so you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we have a prophet's chamber here, and so regularly I get to hear missionaries during the day if they stay longer than the weekend, you know. And what a missionary is doing that people may not realize that is for hours on end, and I mean hours on end, are making phone call after phone call after phone call. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, they get a list from their mission board generally or something, some organization, and they'll have thousands of churches. And they call and they call and they call. And getting a hold of the pastor is, well, you know how it is. If I don't, oh, sure. if, if I don't want you to get a hold of me, you can't. Right. If I'm avoiding right. you, you're you're not going to get a hold of me. Well, I remember someone saying, "Well, we were on deputation. The biggest lie pastors tell is on their answering machine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. leave your name and number, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And then they never get back to you. Yeah. Um, I, I always wondered, you know, and, and and now, of course, being on the other side of that as a pastor, I do sometimes get phone calls and uh, emails from missionaries. Not not a ton, um, but I do get them. And it usually takes me just a few minutes to give them a call back, um, or, or a lot of times it's email now. It takes just a few minutes to reply with an email. I often wondered why is why did it seem like such a, a, a so few pastors even took the time for a two minute phone call or a thirty second email? You know why is that so difficult? We do what's generally right on our plate and what's happening at that moment. And so mm -hmm. if you do not, I mean, how many pastors actually don't get up and preach on a Sunday morning? Okay. They always do because it's on their schedule to do. Mm -hmm. um, we do the things that are right in front of us that we have to do. And the things that are not scheduled to do get pushed back into the, I'll get to that one of these days, which means generally never. Right. And so there is a way, to, what I did personally, when I heard that the, I asked the missionaries when I decide, when I became senior pastor, I asked our missionaries, tell me the good, bad, and the ugly of deputation. And so they, that was a really hot topic, by the way, I think I got 25 or 30 emails within the next 24 hours. Wow. Spelling out the, the difficulties of deputation. And when I read that it's the pastors don't return your phone calls was the number one problem. 
I hmm. decided to set it up into my schedule. And so I, I dedicated Wednesday morning is when I do my missions work of all different varieties. I've got a lot of different missions work that's got to be done. I do that all on Wednesday. Now, the missionary doesn't care because he's calling all day, every day, trying to get. So when you call him back on Wednesday, he's just making phone calls anyway. He's happy to, to talk with you in the sure. four or five days. So it's on my schedule to do. And that's right. a difference. And see, I remember that about you when we had called. And full disclosure here to those listening, <clears throat> we were one of the missionaries, the church planters, that your church actually did not invite in for a meeting. And uh, it was such a good experience that I had in being told no, <laughs> that I respected you and the church more for it. Whereas I'd had all sorts of other interactions with pastors, as all missionaries do, where they're told no, but it's not always in such gracious or uh, deliberate ways. And I remember calling you and you had said, I will contact you next Wednesday. I'll look over your information this week and I will contact you next Wednesday. And my experience thus far had been, you know, kind of that that's often an empty promise. But next Wednesday came and you called and you had looked over our information like you said you would. And you had said, I prayed about having you in. You said, you said, I, I liked all your information. I appreciate all your information. Um, but I prayed about having you and I just didn't feel any particular leading to have you guys come in for a meeting. So your reason for saying no was a spiritual reason, um, which, again, I have to respect that. So I, I, and, and for years, I, I would tell this story. I, I, I could think probably five people I've told that story to in subsequent years, but it was really the only interaction we had where we were turned down that I could end up respecting the pastor more for it because you kept your schedule, you kept your word, you had a spiritual reason for your decision. And that made an impression on me even then. Um, so so thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so, okay. So in your research, in emailing your, your, your 70 some odd missionaries or however many had emails, you got 25 some odd responses back, which that's a, that's a pretty good sample size amongst 70 missionaries. You know, I could just back of the napkin math that in my head thinking that's a non, that, that, the the chances of that being just a random result is probably close to zero. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm thinking that's a pretty good sample size of research to say that probably the vast majority of missionaries would give a similar, if not the same answer. Um, so from the pastor's perspective, though, that's from the missionary's perspective, from the pastor's perspective, what is your number one challenge in dealing with missionary queries? Okay. Um, well, first off, missionaries never call at a convenient time. Okay. This is why I set it to Wednesdays. So they, the missionary calls in. If I had to deal with a missionary every time they called, I'd be in trouble. Mm. But my secretary takes their name down, puts it in a folder for me so all the information doesn't get lost. It goes right where I know it's going to be. And so I can look at that information on Wednesday and not lose a missionary. The biggest difficulty is discerning the will of God. Hmm. It's got to be done at, this is the Lord's work, and it has to be done right. And Amen. in our, our missions program, 
we're not a very big church. We, we have probably 30 to 35 families and our missions family would be 70 families. And so we are getting on the long edge. We, we, money's never been our issue, but we only have so much time, so much energy to put into fellow laboring with a missionary. And so we're about of what we can handle. But when you get a missionary program to 60 or 70 missionaries, you'll find that you lose about 10% a year for various reasons, whether they come off the field. Yes, you'll lose those missionary families. They'll some issue, they'll switch ministries, they'll get discouraged and come home. They retire, all different reasons. So I've got to take on, uh, this church has to take on uh, uh, probably a half dozen Yeah, uh, every year. So the, everybody that calls, you know, you get a lot of calls. Um, you have to be able to sort through those. And that can be, there's a process that I run through that, that allows this to all take place. But that would be the, the most difficult thing is making sure that I'm scheduling them because we don't have time to schedule missionaries almost that we can't support. There's just right. not enough time. Sure. So, so you don't bring any in that you don't have a unit of support potentially for. Correct. Good. Okay. Correct. Good. Yeah. Um, so with bringing in roughly six or seven per year, that'd be 10% of your 70 thereabouts. Um, that would mean, let's see, you'd have to have probably a missionary in every other month. We have a missionary every month. Every month. Because when you have your own missionaries on deputation, sorry, your own missionaries home on furlough, uh, try, uh-huh. to do, try to do the math there. If you've got 10 per- if you've got 25% of them home on furlough at any given moment, um, you start to see that the math gets really difficult. Sure. Um, and so one missionary a month, if I schedule more than that, the church starts wondering if they even need me because I'm not preaching anyway. So, <laughs> so I don't do right. that. But uh, right. one a month is our average. Okay. So you can see the math is really tight there on Sure. Yeah, that's that's quite a schedule there. So when you have new missionaries and ones that you do not yet support, um, I, I've heard some pastors say, I would never have a missionary in that we aren't already going to support. Is there, I, I mean, barring any catastrophic discoveries when the missionary arrives, is your what's your confidence level uh, when they come that you do and that you are going to take them on for support if i have done my due diligence on this end before they come there is a very likely not a hundred percent but is a very likely uh chance that we're going to take them on for support okay if you do your due diligence ahead of time if you actually read through their packet of information if you listen to the missionary when they when they talk when they call you that's why i wait for them to call you know, the, with email these days, it's so easy to send out a blanket email to all the churches. Yeah. Okay, yes. they have not made any investment there. When I hear the man's voice on the phone and I ask him to explain his ministry, what the Lord's called him to do, I learn a lot by his voice, by his his attitudes, his impressions, all of these things. I make hmm. notes on all of that while I'm writing down his details. Sure. And so that is really a very important part of the process. Then I read through his information um, when I'm not on the phone, and then I take that week to ask the Lord about it. And it is not uncommon for me to to write a missionary on the following Wednesday and say, I've got to pray about this more. It's not clear to me. I've actually done that to where I've pushed them back two or three weeks because the Lord has not made it clear. Yeah. 
So do you still get a lot of packets by mail or is that mostly email now? Almost all of it's email. You have a few of the old school missionaries who still send prayer letters and that kind of stuff by mail. But yeah. it's so expensive these days and I don't like that. Sure. Anyway. I, I want an electronic packet so that my, my secretary prints it out because I like a paper copy. Sure. And I guess for listeners who might not be familiar, the missionary typically sends a packet of information to the church after he has called. Um, and, and usually that's to kind of help save them money. So they're not sending packets to a bunch of places where they haven't even spoken with someone. Um, so they'll call, they'll ask, you know, can I send you a packet? The pastor might say, yes, they send the packet. And the packet usually includes, at least in my opinion, it should include their doctrinal statement. Um, and it should include something about their sending church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it should include at least some biographical information about them. Um, and, and probably there's, there's various miscellaneous things missionaries can include. I, I was told when I was on deputation not to put my doctrinal statement fully in there, to put like a summary of it. And the reason for that was because pastors won't read the whole thing. And I, I, I still to this day don't know what to feel about that because it seems like in one sense such an indictment on on pastors. I, and I don't know what to make of that. Do you read the whole thing? It depends on if you have a mission board or not. Oh, okay. If you have a mission board that I am familiar with, that I know is solid doctrinally, I know that they have went through your your thing with a fine-tooth comb. If you are with an organization that I'm not familiar with, I am much more, uh, I, I look a lot more closely at the doctrinal statement. If you do not include a doctrinal statement, I'll call you back on Wednesday and just tell you, you know, the <laughs> Lord just isn't going to look, I don't think the Lord has right. it. If it wasn't important enough to include, uh, that's a real red flag for me. Sure. Yeah. So like, for instance, um, what about missionaries who aren't sent through a mission board and they have a link to their sending church? Do you do you go through and look at their sending church and see what if their church has a doctrinal statement and such? I do, depending. Um, it doesn't happen very often that way. The sending church is extremely important. I don't know if you've dealt much with this, but if a missionary has a problem on the field, the mission board is not the answer. Correct. The, the sending church is the answer. Correct. And what I have found is that sending churches very often have no clue about their job. And therefore, wow. you call them and they don't want to deal with the problem because they're just really not equipped to do it. And so the mission board points you to the sending church. The sending church just holds up their hands and like, I don't know what to do. And so you're stuck. And so there are actually sending churches that if you were from there, I wouldn't consider you because hmm. I've had difficulties with that church in the past and they just, right. they don't know how to deal with their missionaries. Right. You, uh, you seem to me like a, a record keeper, like a detailed record keeper. Am I right about that assessment? I was a computer programmer in high school. And so okay. detail okay. are my thing. And I like to be organized. I don't like to lose information. I haven't lost a missionary yet. And so I yeah. am not very careful about those things. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I'm, I'm similar when it comes to record keeping. I keep notes on just about everything. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so it, I can appreciate that. My memory is not very good. So I write everything down. My dad always used to say a short pencil is better than a long memory. So, <laughs> That's good. A short pencil 
is better than long memory. That's fantastic. Cause I remember, I think it was David Allen, the, uh, the guy who wrote getting things done. He said, the brain is terrible as a storage device. <laughs> I agree. And that's why he said, just write things down. And ever since then I have written stuff down and the way it relieves stress is unbelievable too, because there's less, you have to try and wonder, well, did I, did I remember that? What am I forgetting? Is there something, what, am, what do I need to do? It's easier just to keep records of writing things down. Um, are, are you a to-do list guy? Uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yes. And if I write it down, the paper carries the weight, not my brain. Right. And I find that I forget things a lot. And so I write down anytime we have an event after the event, I write a critique of that so that I know what we did at that event. And the yes. next year I pull it out and think, boy, I don't remember doing that, but that was good. And just, yes. You know, very important. Yes. I'm the same way. I live by a to-do list uh, yes. every day. I have my recurring items and I have my new items. So it's, it's so much less stressful and you can accomplish a lot more in shorter amounts of time. And, and I guess that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about some of the negative experiences missionaries have had on deputation is that it doesn't seem that they're, at least in our experience of two years traveling, there wasn't a lot of good record keeping pastors. Right. <laughs> um, there, there were some that, that are, um, but there's just, I don't know, it just seems not to not be uh, overly emphasized very much. Uh, the, there are, let me first off say there are lots of churches doing wonderful missions work. Sure. An amazing amount of churches doing a great work in missions. And there's a sure. lot of shoddy work being done. And just because you're a disorganized person, that's not going to stand at the judgment seat. Right. That won't be the excuse. Well, I was just a disorganized person. Things right. are Lord's work, and it needs to be done decently in order. And so sure. you, you have to make allowances and, and make the, the project, the process happen. Right. And, and largely, I think as far as our ministry here goes with planting a church, uh, a lot of that can be at least in part credited to pastors who kept good records. Um, we still have some supporters, not as many as when we first got here, but we still have supporting churches and they are diligent churches. Um, and it seems like a lot of times churches that aren't good record keeping churches, they're very flighty with their support. So they're constantly changing directions. We want to support this type of work and this type of work or this part of the world or this window or whatever it might be. And they're constantly shifting around their funds to different missionaries. And it leaves missionaries kind of unstable in some ways if every church was doing it that way. There's a lot of different processes. My grandpa used to say there's more than one way to skin a cat. I'm not sure that's politically correct anymore, but he used to say. I'm okay with it. <laughs> but there's a lot of different ways to do things. But it is the Lord's work. Yes. And the end result, it's got to be done his way. It's got to be done where he would put his stamp of approval on it. Right. You, you want to know the second biggest thing that the missionaries complained about? Well, yes, that tell complaint me. Isn't, isn't the right, is the dishonesty. They, one, they couldn't get a hold of a pastor, but two, the dishonesty. And Interesting. Past, pastors would not consider it dishonest. Okay. But nobody wants to be the bad guy. Okay. Nobody wants to say, you, you know, this guy's been calling, he's discouraged, and, he, and you know you can't support him. But nobody wants to pull the trigger and say, I, I, I can't support you. Nobody wants to say, right. nobody wants to say that. And so they string the missionary along. Yes. They string him along. I, we had a missionary yes. here. He came out and tears were just rolling down his face. He had been re dealing with one church for, I don't know, I think he said it's three months or six months, 
the pastor just kept saying, well, get me this document, get me this, fill out this form, do this, do that. And when it finally got all the way done, he'd done everything this pastor wanted for six months. The pastor told him, look, I just can't schedule you. There's just no room in the calendar. Yeah. And so the my mantra is missionaries need plain speaking. Yes. And so when I, when a missionary calls me, the first thing, one of the first things I tell them is, look, logistically, I can't schedule you. Because, okay, when they when I you call a missionary and they haven't been called back by a pastor in the last six months, okay, they think you're a live wire. Okay, this is the real one. I'm going to get this one. Okay, so I start them off with, the odds are I cannot support you. There, there's just not right. going to be room in the calendar. But I'm going to walk through the process and see what the Lord will do here. They need plain speaking. And to stretch them out for, if the answer is going to be no, then it might as well be no. Right. Right off the bat versus jumping through hoops to get a no at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar experience, not quite six months, but it was it was probably two months, I'd say. I was going back and forth with this church in California uh, by email uh, and even a couple of phone calls involved. <clears throat> and and the, the reason why I guess it's so heartbreaking for missionaries is because they're trying to plan their trips regionally. So we were going to be headed west, but we didn't know how far west we were going to be going. So I was waiting to hear from this church in California uh, to kind of see, okay, if we get that meeting, we've got to plan other meetings in the region so that we're not driving all the way that way for one meeting. And two months go by, and finally there there was just, no, sorry, we can't have you in. And it was constantly leading on, leading on, leading on until there was a no. And I think it really does come down to, like you're saying, just not wanting to say the word no, not wanting to be the bad guy. But I don't think what pastors often appreciate about being honest in that way is that if a missionary is worth his salt and you tell him no and give him a good scriptural, spiritual reason for it, he should be respecting you more for that, right? Um, you know, and, and I think people kind of presume the missionary is going to go off and pout somewhere, <laughs> you know? Tell him no and be honest, and he'll respect you for it. A missionary actually has a mixed result, mixed emotion when you tell them no. True. No means, okay, I'm not going to get the meeting. But it also means he can cross that church off the list. He does not have to make one more phone call there. Right. Because until he gets an actual no, he cannot cross that church off of that list. Right. There becomes a like a three-week follow-up process. If there isn't a direct no, you put them on a recall list that happens a week later and then two weeks following that because you don't want to bombard them. Right. So so typically you've now cost them three weeks of wondering whether or not they're going to get that meeting in that area. And that's valuable time that they could be hitting another region with phone calls. Yes. Yeah. So. It's, they, they have a you can hear it in their voice that especially if you call them back. Because they, you know, they they figure this is a church that we'd really like to have support us if they're do the, doing their due diligence. You can hear the disappointment in their voice, but you can also feel okay. The, at least the, I can close the door here. Yeah, yeah, some so closure. A yeah. little, a little honesty. I mean, it is the Lord's work, and honesty ought to be the, the key thing. But I understand because I until the missionaries told me that because I'm a guy that doesn't like to hurt people's feelings. Okay, I don't sure. like to, to say the hard things, but when the missionaries, almost all of the 25 responses, because that's what I went through, I categorized how many of the same thing they said. 
and almost all of them said, we just needed plain speaking. If it was no, it was no. When I understood that the missionary is going to be good with that, if it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate reason, then hmm. you give them that. And I have never had any missionary complain about plain speaking to them. Right, right. I, I, I can concur with this. I don't know what kind of promises that pastors make, but that was another big thing on the list. They needed, they wish the pastors would just follow through with what they said they were going to do. I yes. don't know what that looks like, um, but it was a big thing that pastors were making some types of promises. I don't know what they were, and we're not fulfilling them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, often it would have to do with um, where where you're staying and your schedule. Um, those are the biggest things that would often be very much in flux. So you'd be told to go somewhere, you're staying there, and then you'd get there and it would be something completely different. You know, you know, sometimes you'd arrive and they say, oh, I thought you were going to be responsible for your own lodging. No, no. <laughs> you know, so it would just be kind of, and maybe that goes back to poor record keeping rather than, you know, not keeping promises. But um, just you, you kind of are always living on edge wondering what's going to change next. And, and that's kind of what deputation life is like. I, I think from a spiritual standpoint, there are challenges with a young family on deputation. Um, and, and, and I mean, parenting, there are parenting challenges on deputation. Would you concur? Without question. You, you judge the missionaries kids cause they come in and they're a little rambunctious. They're running around the foyer a little bit. And you have a tendency to judge these kids as wild kids. But what you fail to realize is that those kids have been in the car for the last 10 hours and for the last three days. And so they are just full of energy and are wanting to do something. And so this is the first time they've been out of the car. And now they're expected to act like angels. And it's just Mm -hmm. not a reasonable expectation. Sure. The other part of that is the missionary himself. He's trying to meet people and build relationships. And so he he doesn't ha- he can't get a hold of his kids because he's right. he's in the middle of this conversation and attention is divided. Yes, it's very difficult. Yeah. So yeah. I try I try to be a little uh, give some leeway in in those things when a missionary's here. Yes, I think there's even some uh, and maybe this is a lesser thought of thing, but health challenges with deputation. There's almost a constant flow of junk food. <laughs> Um, because it's just really difficult and in some cases not even possible to eat something healthy <laughs> when you're traveling on deputation. I mean, it can be done, but it takes a lot of work to do that. And I remember um, I had I had put on probably 40 pounds during deputation, which subsequently came off after deputation. I, I think the average is somewhere around 30 pounds that the average missionary gains on deputation. And so <laughs> it is an issue. Yeah, I, I tell you, one of the things that, that really shocked me was the missionaries would show up having no idea what they were expected to do when, at a service. I just don't understand that whatsoever. The mm-hmm. missionary would show up and the, the path, he doesn't know if he's got a five minute or if he's got the whole service. He doesn't know if he's showing his yep. video. I, I just I have a really difficult time with that because... Right. I know for the next, unless some terrible thing would happen, I know for the next 20 years what our missionary will be doing when he's here. We do the same thing. And so why we would have a missionary, if I'm expecting him to come and minister to us, I am giving him my pulpit. Why I would not let him be ultra prepared for that Mm -hmm. endeavor, I I don't get that at all. 
and it's so right. so very easy to do. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm organized, but I like things easy, and so I right. have a, a a sheet that I fill out for each missionary that because not everything is exactly the same. They may not be staying in the same place. They may be coming in later, earlier, different events and so forth. But I have a sheet that I can fill out in less than 15 seconds that tells the missionary more information than he would ever want to know. Tells him when all the services are and all of these things. And it gets sent out to, uh, they, I send it to them two weeks in advance. So if they come here and they are not prepared that is not my fault, and I take that right. against them if they come in and are not prepared because they've had the information weeks in advance. Right. Is that uh, is that sheet? Is just a one page thing, right? It um, is. Is that something that you would be willing to share with us that we can make available to our listeners on the website? Without question. Yeah. It's okay. it's they'd have to make their own, but it gives you the ideas. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, like a template. The there's lots of really strange things that take place. One of the big things that they said was the missionary said we don't we never know who the pastor's wife is which to me is uh, how easy yeah. is that, how easy is that to to come up with and so part of the packet that i send the missionary has the picture of all the staff in it and their families it has all of our telephone numbers it has a map to the church it has all the addresses it's got all the contact information it's, everything is there why make a missionary guess this is all on that one page. This, there, there are two documents. The one document they never oh, see. Okay. My wife takes the one document, and it's the things I circle. They're going to be doing this, this, and this. And she sent okay. out the things that I circled, and they had attached to that is another document. And I can I can send you both of those. Yeah, that'd be great. That's a, that's a really neat idea. Um, so as far as when the missionary arrives, then they've already been prepped in advance, knowing what they're going to do. Um, you've already looked over their information by this point, um, kind of to circle back to one thing that I, I didn't get to ask earlier. I ended up, I think, taking us on a tangent, but um, <clears throat> when it comes to looking at their their doctrinal statement, we oftentimes create like heuristics in our minds, like mental shortcuts places where we go first, we look for some hot spots, right? Are there particular things you jump to first in a doctrinal statement? Um, probably not. Um, I won't, I don't know that I have ever seen a doctrinal statement here that would not line up close enough with me that we could support them. I don't know if I've ever had to, to you know, when you're a Baptist church that works with certain mission boards and so forth, a lot of that's already been taken care right. of. Right. That makes sense. And so that's not typically my problem. And plus, we both know that doctrinal issues of the, the core doctrines are not really where we have most of our problems. Okay. Not with the people yeah, that I'm dealing often. with. And so there's a lot, you have to read between the lines on certain things. You know, there's a lot of hot topics, and I don't want to bring those all up today. Um, sure, yeah, no, that's fine. You, you can tell by the way that things are worded. You can tell that, okay, this missionary is going to be on the far side of this particular, what do we want to call it, trouble spot in the, in the, in the fundamentalism. Okay. Right, and, sure. And so uh, those things I kind of look for because, you know, guys that hammer hard on those will be probably off on other areas as well. Um, so those are not really 
I've never seen a doctrinal statement that was a, a real problem. Right. Okay. Interesting. I'm not, I'm um, not saying there's not people out there. That... Yeah, I think uh, if you're getting, like, if you have a relationship with a particular mission board, that's likely why you wouldn't see a whole lot of variation uh, in that. In yes. a sense, they've taken some of the guesswork out of that for and, you. And when they get my name, they get the church's name. They didn't just pull that off the phone book. The, these people have, they have pulled it from you know some organization that I'm attached with at some point in some way. Right. Okay. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> well, I think, uh, I think it's probably as good a time as any to move into the after show bonus episode here. And uh, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk more about the missionaries experience. Once they arrive, how are they treated? Where do they go? What are they doing? What is the mindset of yourself and the church toward them? I want to get into that in the after show. So if you're listening and you'd like to hear the after show bonus episode, that is reserved for elite patrons only. Uh, and you can become one of those if you'd like over at patreon.com slash reason together. And you can choose the elite level and, uh, and support us for that level. And you'll get the after show bonus episode. But we're going to go have a conversation there. Um, if you're not, uh, an elite patron, this is, uh, this is kind of the end of the ride for you <laughs> for now, but, uh, but that's okay. We certainly appreciate you listening and tuning in for this. We hope it's been helpful. Uh, one other thing I'm going to ask in the after show involves an underground tunnel. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming this is that this is your church. It is. Okay. And this is, this is a very unique thing. If you want to hear more about that, that's going to be in the after show bonus episode. Uh, but until then, uh, we certainly appreciate you listening. Thank you, uh, Pastor Scott, for being with us uh, on this episode. Uh, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.